Gander. I also didn't know it was a big weekend for the Aggies, so I ended up wearing, I guess I'm wearing their colors. Uh, <laughs> so maybe good for some, good for the other. I was trying to be neutral, didn't work. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Rachel and I came down here about a year ago, got involved in the well. It's been a huge blessing. We've been seeing God do a lot of great things here. Uh, and again, it's a privilege uh, for us to be here. Uh, so Again, just want to thank you for the opportunity. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be uh, hanging out in verses 1 through 18 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under every second or third chair around you. We'd invite you to, uh, to pick that one up and read uh, from that. And if you don't actually own a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to take that as a gift. We want you to be able to have God's Word in front of you, to be able to read and hear from God, and to, to also see and see with your own eyes that we're not taking uh, God's Word and making it into something that it's not. We're just trying to preach what's already in there uh, and hear and worship God together as a church uh, from what He's actually saying in His Word. Uh, so as you go there, I just want to recap where we're at right now. We are in the middle of a series that's an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're in the, uh, the fourth part of that series, and uh, we're going to be in, uh, like I said, Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Uh, so the first one was about, uh, Tori kind of introduced the sermon. It's, it's a sermon that Jesus is preaching. It's one of the most, uh, probably one of the most quoted uh, and most referred to uh, teachings in Scripture, and also in some ways probably one of the most misunderstood. Uh, and we're trying to, as a church, get a handle on what Jesus is doing here. So he introduced it by saying, uh, Jesus was saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we come to Jesus in the gospel, uh, we are invited not as people who have it all together, but people who understand our own poorness in front of God and come to Jesus for healing and restoration. Uh, the next sermon, we talked about how this gospel, uh, this up, seemingly upside-down gospel where the poor in spirit are invited to come to Jesus, is salt and light to the world. It adds flavor to the world as God is restoring uh, all nations to himself. And, and then we came to chapter 3, which was a little bit intense. Jesus is restoring and almost intensifying these things we know as the Ten Commandments, uh, by saying it's not just outward action that matters, it's inward action of the heart. And really, it's not, the point of it's not that we have to live up to this to come to God. It's that it shows us that all of us fall short of God and we need someone else to fulfill this for us or else we can't live up to it on our own. And that's where we ended up, where, uh, where Tori ended up last week, and how uh, Jesus is the fulfillment. The entire point of him going back through the Ten Commandments was to set us up for our need for him and then to say, I fulfill this and I'm crediting it to you as righteousness. And that word righteousness, how it's used as uh, just a right standing and a right relationship with God. And the reason I add that is because it's going to come up again today. And uh, before we get started there's a lot in this passage, and I just want to lay that out. Uh, Jesus is going to cover a lot of really good to uh, topics. We could do a sermon series that lasts for a year uh, on some of these topics alone. In fact, we're probably going to do uh, some sermon series in the future on these more specifically. But for the sake of an overview, we're just going to focus on Jesus' main point. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at just some slight, quick background on the passage to remind ourselves what's going on, who's Jesus talking to, what's the setting, we're going to look at the passage in light of Jesus' main point, and that main point is set up in a way that it reverberates through the entire passage. We're going to boil it down to a few main things that Jesus is, is saying and teaching in this section. We're going to take those things 
and see how they speak into our own time, our own culture, our own church here, and even our own lives. So does that sound all right? Yes. Cool, cool. Uh, well, before we dive into the word, uh, I just want to pray for us real quick. Uh, so if you'll pray with me. Uh, God, I want to thank you for, uh, for the well. Thank you for what you're doing here and the, that we are just a small part of what you're doing in the entire world to restore people from every nation into a right relationship with you, a relationship that leads to joy uh, in you, Jesus, a relationship that leads to hope, uh, hope of you, Jesus, and uh, hope for the day that you return and set all things right, that we get to come into your kingdom and stand face to face in front of you, God. Uh, thank you that we get to hear your words, uh, but we also get to hear your words on the other side of your resurrection. We are hearing words uh, looking to a glorified Jesus, a Jesus who died for us and rose from the dead on our behalf. Pray that we would have that in mind today, that we're hearing the words directly from the risen, alive, and glorified Savior that we've come into a relationship with uh, when we trusted in, in you. So I pray that you'd help us to, uh, with humble hearts, God, with ears that are open to your word, I pray that we as a body together would, uh, would hear from you today. And it's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so, uh, like I said on the roadmap, we're going to start with the, uh, just a little bit of background on the passage. Uh, and who Jesus is talking to, so he's talking to people, uh, they're, on a, they're on a mountain, they're sitting at his feet, and it's people from a lot of different cultural backgrounds, uh, but no matter where they're from, it seems like he's talking to people who, he's going to be talking to people who have been influenced by some of the religious leaders of the day. So that's what, he, and it's for better or for worse, some of the religious leaders of the day had uh, taken things that God had given, things like the law, things like prayer, fasting, and made them into something that is just about people, and it misses the point. And that's what he's going to be confronting in this passage uh, as we read it, so you'll notice that. So he reestablished, he's going to reestablish the purpose of some of the really important things like prayer, fasting, and giving so that when we, in doing them, we're not focusing on building up ourselves or making ourselves look good like some of the leaders of the day were doing. He's restoring the purpose that those things are supposed to have set our eyes on God. So really, that's the backdrop of the passage today. And he just really did that with the law as well. He reestablished the purpose. This Ten Commandments, the law that we talked about last week, wasn't meant to say, this is how you get to God by obeying these things. It was meant to say, you need God to do this for you. You can't do it on your own. We can't do it on our own. So that's the backdrop to the, backdrop to the passage, and he's continuing this uh, on another subject. So I'm going to open up the Bible, and if you want to follow along with me, we're going to read the whole thing. I want you to just read it as if we're hearing it from Jesus, and uh, just follow along to see how he sets this up. Uh, so it says this, uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door 
and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head with oil and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, uh, as we read this, a lot of questions are going to come up, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's, we're not going to cover everything today, but I would encourage you, if there's questions that come to mind, write them down and talk about them together. We want to be talking about God's Word and learning alongside of each other. Uh, but for the sake of today, we're going to look at the main point Jesus is making, and it's actually right at the beginning here, uh, and everything else is kind of in submission to that main point. So it's, the main point is uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So what he's doing is he's confronting the ideas, like I, like I said earlier, of the religious leaders of the day who took these acts of righteousness and made them something that elevated themselves in front of other people rather than uh, draw, drew their hearts into hope and worship of God. So every other point in this section is going to be taking this idea and explaining it practically and laying it out. Jesus is a good preacher. He's, he's, he's good. Um, so a couple things before we get into the, the other points, I want to make a note on kind of what we're not going to do today. Um, so this is an awesome place to start to study, uh, spiritual disciplines. And in fact, we'll, we'll do that probably at some point. Uh, but rather he's not giving an exhaustive list of these things. These are examples of how the righteousness that God gives us freely as a gift, these are examples of how it plays out to one degree or another in the life of someone who's been transformed by God. So he's saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. Example, example, example. This is how it might look in your life. So another thing I want to know, uh, and hopefully this kind of frees us up at this point, he's not rebuking his followers. He's not giving a rebuke, but rather a warning to protect them. It says uh, elsewhere in Scripture that he's a good shepherd, and he really is. He's guarding them from a futile pursuit of seeking reward and honor from others so that they're freed up to seek honor and reward from God. He's pitting those things against each other, but he's not rebuking them as if he sees them falling into this. He's warning them to protect them. So we're not going to be viewing it from that point uh, for today's sake. And, uh, and also a final thing. Uh, this is something I've wondered about, and I think a lot of us, when we come to this passage, wonder about. He's not saying don't let anybody else ever see your righteousness. Uh, and, you know, he's not saying literally hide prayer from other people. So, you know, it's like if I come home after praying with, with somebody, you know, and my wife asked me, what were you doing? Uh, I wasn't, wasn't praying, you know. 
I was, uh, I was shoplifting or something, you know. <laughs> um, he, that would actually contradict what he says earlier where he says, you know, that people may see your righteous deeds and glorify God. Rather, what he's getting at is the heart motivation of seeking reward and honor from others in those things because it removes God's original purpose in them. So, uh, but again, that's something we can wrestle with, but we're not going to deal with those things necessarily today. Just with this main point, we want to look at it. Uh, so he goes on and to each section, and I want to give an overview of each of them because the sections kind of take the similar pattern. Uh, each topic follows a pattern, uh, and what I did was kind of color-coded them. Hopefully you can see them. If not, I'll walk you through them. Uh, but each subsection so uh, follows this same pattern. Beware of the example some have set. Honor from others is an inferior reward. Guard against this pursuit. And God is the one who sees and gives true reward. So each section follows something like, don't be, the, do, don't be like the hypocrites, for they blank in order that they may be seen by others. But when you blank, insert prayer, give, uh, fast, do it in secret that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So don't be like these leaders that have influenced you and that you've seen. They've got the reward, and that's all they're getting. That's that's temporary. That's all they're looking to. That's all they're looking for. But when you do it, guard your motives. Do it in secret that your heart might be set on God and his reward. And each section uh, follows these things. Uh, I made some slides of them. I don't know if they're up there. Yeah. So uh, when we have giving, you can see the pattern. When you give, don't do as the hypocrites do. Uh, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give, don't let uh, your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you're giving maybe in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward to. Prayer, uh, you're going to see, is a little bit different. Uh, it adds in the Lord's prayer in it. And uh, Jesus obviously places some importance on this one. But really, in a loose kind of way, it, he follows a similar pattern. He starts out by contrasting what the, the hypocrites are doing, heaping up empty phrases. They would often just repeat the same sentiments again and again just to sound eloquent. Uh, and then he says, they think they'll be heard for their many words. In other words, indicating that's all they're getting is a lot of words. Uh, and then saying, then explaining how to pray. And what, what is this prayer but a, a simple, non-eloquent expression of God is good we want his will to be done. We depend on him for our provision. And we depend on him for our forgiveness. And it sets at the end, it again sets us in sight of God and his forgiveness. So it's set up similarly, but in a slightly different way. And then fasting is very similar to the first one. So, you know, again, when you fast, don't blank like the hypocrites, for they, that's all they're getting. They've received their reward. But when you fast... Do it before God. God is the one who sees you. God's the one who has real reward. Uh, so again, back to those four points that we boil it down to. Uh, first of all, again, beware of the example that some in that time have set. To honor from others is an inferior reward, and it's all they're getting, and it's all they're seeking. Three, guard against this pursuit. Take steps to guard against this to make sure your heart is set on God and God is the one who sees and gives real reward. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to leave these four points up here, and I want to walk through and see how each of these uh, speaks into our culture, our lives, and our church today. Uh, so beware of the example some have set. Now, this is kind of a, a crazy, crazy time in our culture. I think many of us are familiar with that. Uh, so I'm going to give a few examples, and any examples that I give today are merely meant to, uh, to get you thinking, to get us as a church thinking about these things and aware of what's going on. So these are just a few examples in our culture of uh, some of the maybe religious or examples who might just be seeking after human reward, and we need to beware. Uh, first of all, I mean, the obvious one, I think our, our country at this time is very suspicious of the political realm, you know? Uh, putting on a, on a face in front of people that might not be genuine. Uh, and again, I can't say for sure what they're like, but that's definitely a suspicion in our culture, the politicalization of something. So when you say it in front of people, you get honor and praise, but really there's a lot of question going on about is this genuine? Is this really what's going on? Uh, so that's one way that we see it, uh, our, you know, our examples in our country. Uh, that can be a way that we need to be aware of. Uh, this is one I want to hit on. Uh, and this is just a general one that we need to be aware of. Um, churches that subtly change the gospel into something that leads to the elevation of people rather than God. Now, what I mean by this is I think we're all somewhat aware of this gospel that, that says, if you follow Jesus, you will have great relationships You'll probably have a lot of wealth because God likes to bless you in that way. That's an indication that you're blessed. And you're probably going to be healthy. That, that's, you know, it sounds interesting when I say that, but it's really something that tends to, uh, in a prosperous culture right now, we're not in any uh, crazy economic crisis. We're, we're not in a poor time in our history like many of our, our parents or grandparents experienced in the Depression. So that works. When you preach, come to Jesus and he'll give you everything you want in this life, that attracts people. We have to be careful of churches that, that do that. And a way you can kind of tell is if you're, if you're in a church or if consistently are a part of a church body and you leave talking about yourself or the people, that's something to, that should get you thinking, not necessarily crying out, they're heretics or something like that, but it should get you aware and get your mind uh, on alert that, that something like that could be going on. Uh, so there, there is a lot of that. And again, uh, we have to question uh, people who claim to be even Christian teachers in our culture preaching things that are going to get people into their church just for the sake of that, and that is the end. Uh, we got to be aware of that. Uh, so that in mind, there's another, uh, another kind of teaching that's going around and that may even come into the church even more in our time is this, uh, this idea, uh, peculiar idea that uh, all religions get us to God. Any belief, any person uh, that we want to believe in, whoever that may be, whatever that may be, gets us into right standing with God. It's something that people can teach in our culture and they'll get applauded for it. They'll get invited to teach at schools. They'll get invited to write books and publish books. It's something that's going around in our culture. Why? Because our culture is a culture of what, we're of what Jesus is addressing here. It's a culture of people-pleasing, of seeking honor, of seeking praise from people and never staying way away from any possibility of offending somebody. So again, saying all religions are right is something that is popular in our culture uh, and we need, to, we need to address that. So uh, I had a, uh, 
I had a Muslim friend one time, and we, we got talking pretty often about, uh, about our gods, our, our beliefs. And uh, the first thing I said to him, and it was really interesting in the conversation, uh, I said it this way. I said, um, you know, we were going to talk about uh, looking at, like, is Jesus God or is he not? Is, is the Muslim God God or is the God of Jesus God? The first thing I said was, these are mutually exclusive. They can't both be true. And he was a smart Muslim. He, was, he, he even knew his Greek Bible. That was crazy to me. I, I didn't know that. He, he was one-upping me for sure. Uh, and uh, he had studied his whole life the Muslim faith. He had asked people, and he had even talked to Christians in the past. So he had a wide knowledge, and he said, yeah, they're mutually exclusive. You can't have them both. Usually that, this uh, all religions are right thing uh, often stems from a lack of a deep understanding of the core characters character of the gods that people believe in. They're not all the same when you get down to it. Now, everybody's seeking God in a way in the world. We've established that, and it often plays out in some image of right behavior or right working, but not all the gods have the same character. Not all of them get you to God. In fact, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we got to be aware of that. Uh, again, we got to tune our ears to things in our culture that could be influencing us as believers. And that's what Jesus is protecting us from. That's what Jesus is protecting his hearers from in this section are the religious examples that set themselves above us that might not actually be doing what they say they're doing. Uh, number two, honor from others is an inferior reward. Uh, this is just something that Jesus is exposing the, the temporality, the temporariness of human reward. And when we think about it, honestly, it kind of makes sense. Uh, no one walks away satisfied after trying to impress people. I, I've tried to do that. It doesn't leave me like, okay, I'm satisfied for life. life I'm done with this. Uh, I've, I've impressed you know, a few people. I'm good. Uh, we always want more in that. And when's the last time someone tried to impress you and you knew it and you were actually impressed with them? I mean, <laughs> you... We probably walk away more tempted to gossip than anything. Uh, so it doesn't really work. And I, something we got to remind ourselves of is no one's quite as impressed with us as we are. <laughs> so it's true. I, I struggle with this. I have, the, I have to remind myself the same thing. Okay, this person's not going to be impressed if I say this about myself nearly as much as I'm going to be impressed. Um, so, and it also doesn't get us anywhere in relation to God. Jesus sets it against honor from God. It's different. It gets us nowhere, and it's temporary. Uh, one of Tori, Tori's phrases is we, we sell ourselves short if we go for this. If we go for temporary reward, we're missing the entire point. So it's dangerous, and that's why Jesus, as a good shepherd, as a good teacher, as someone who loves and cares for his followers, is setting them up uh, to restore their, their relationship to God to give them the joy of looking to true reward. Um, third one, we got to guard against this pursuit. Now, uh, what I'm going to discuss here is not an all-inclusive how to do this. Uh, it's not an all-inclusive do this and you'll be okay. Rather, like I said earlier, I just want to give us some questions we can ask ourselves and some things to think about so that as a church, we, we together can, can help each other in this. That's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. Uh, so some questions to ask ourselves to sort of see, 
are we struggling and to what degree? And, uh, you know, what is it that we need to bring to God and confess to him about this? Uh, here's some questions we can ask ourselves. Um, do we try to act like we're doing better than we really are when we show up to a gathering of believers? Do we put on, is there, are there things, are there parts of our relationships with, or of our relationship with God that we put on in front of others only in order to take off when we're by ourselves? I think we all, to some degree, at some point in our lives, have experienced, experienced something of that. Do we take on uh, things like leadership roles in ministry just so that people will respect us or see us differently or look like we're spiritually mature? Is the church just a platform to kind of show off our theological one-upsmanship? You know, that's, uh, I'm in seminary, so I had to, I had to throw that one in. That, that happens. It happens. Um, <laughs> and that's something I have to really keep in check. Uh, is that just, are we knowing theology just to show other people? But really, shouldn't theology or knowledge of God lead us to humility, meekness, and patience like Jesus had? This is the funny one. This is the one we got to be uh, really on our guard about uh, we literally have a platform in front of us uh, to make ourselves look good. It's called uh, social media. So anything like Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. I don't do Snapchat. I've never done it. Uh, but it sounds interesting. I don't, I don't know why they disappear after, after you take them. I guess that's a thing. But, uh, but when I was, here's the thing. None of those things are, are bad in and of themselves. It can keep you connected. It can, they're good. But here's what I used to do. Uh, these were in my glorious uh, single days before I was married to, to Rachel here in the audience. And uh, what I used to do was, uh, as, a, as a young Christian, I would hear all these catchy worship songs like, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. And I would say, that's a good, that's a good line. I'll put that on Facebook. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm worshiping. But really, every two to five minutes after I'd get on Facebook and see which, uh, which Christian single girls liked my status, like, <laughs> And uh, Rachel was one of them some of the times. I was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. That was a success. Uh, <laughs> um, but really, that's what I was doing. And sometimes, you know, if a really cool guy that I knew liked, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm popular now. This, that guy's really cool. Yeah, I can hang with him. Uh, he liked my status. I, I've got a good, good appearance on Facebook now. Uh, anyway, that's, what I, that's something I used to do, but we really got to check our hearts to, uh, to what we're posting and what we're letting people see, because it's, it's an opportunity to, uh, to really uh, construct this identity of ourselves that's really not us. Uh, we can even take things like Instagramming our time with God uh, and make that something into like, yeah, we're posting it on Facebook, but are we really really doing it in real life. Uh, so that's something that we just need to be aware of it as, as, you know, as the people of God. Not that we can't use those things, not that those things aren't good, but we got to do a heart check and a motive check and really guard against uh, this temptation to use it as a platform to, uh, to show off you know, kind of how we're doing spiritually when really we might not be doing uh, well. And really, if we're doing all these things, it's keeping us from uh, from actually being poured into by, by the, the church, by each other, which is what we're here to do anyway. We're here to encourage each other and love each other and point each other to, Je to Jesus. Uh, questions to ask each other. They're just simple. Uh, feel free to build on this list, but uh, one is just how are you really doing? Putting that word really in there could open, open the door for us to 
as believers to, to open up about, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. I might not be doing as well as, as I look. Uh, I noticed blank about you that you said or did. Can you tell me more about that? You know, say you're noticing someone uh, is having a hard time with something or, or uh, maybe you saw an interaction with one of their friends or their spouse or girlfriend that you're like, huh, are they doing as well as they seem to be? Can you tell me more about that? I'd love to hear, hear and listen to what's going on. That's a, that's a great in for a conversation. Also, just creating uh, more and more uh, a culture of openness. Uh, and not just openness to be open, but openness that leads to encouragement in Christ. Uh, and that's a great thing uh, for community groups. That's a great thing for conversations that we have before and after church. Uh, being willing to take that first step with someone and say, how are you really doing? Uh, you can be open here. It's okay to struggle with things. It's okay to wrestle with things about God that are hard. Uh, and really, when we guard against these pursuits, uh, it really benefits us because we're keeping each other from the futile pursuit of seeking honor from others. Uh, when I was, my wife and I were, came down here with one car and I needed to buy a car uh, because I had a job that, uh, that required me to drive and I'd been to, you know how you go to used car, has anyone ever bought a used car? Anyone? Yeah. You know how they shine them up really well and they look really good online? And then you go and see it and start it up and it makes that noise, almost like the car is saying, like, hey, you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Like, I had that a couple times. And it's like, they make the, the car looks really good, like it should last. It should get you somewhere, but it doesn't get you anywhere. A good mechanic would lift up the hood and tell you, no, that car really doesn't go anywhere. You'll drive for about 100 miles and it'll, it'll leave you. That's what Jesus is doing and what we can do for each other when we do this, when we keep each other from seeking honor from, from others or from the church or otherwise. We're good mechanics that lift up the hood and say, it's not going to get you anywhere, but look at what Jesus promises. Look at the reward that God promises. And that's what we're going to talk about in this last section, looking ahead to God's reward. So what's better, reward from God that lasts or reward from man that might not even be there, even if we think it is. Jesus should have received, Jesus is our ultimate example. He, he, among all people, should have received human praise more than any one of us. He was God in the flesh. He should have been treated with honor and glory. But it's interesting. Right now, we see crowds around him. Right now, we see him on a mountain. People from multiple different backgrounds and nations are coming to him, but... What happens the night before he goes to the cross? It's down to his disciples. What happens when he goes to the cross? Nobody. Peter even denies him. His key disciple, who's going to build his church supposedly, denies him. And he hangs on a cross, naked, embarrassed, utterly shamed, rejected by people, the Romans and the Jews, both enemies at the time, came together to reject Jesus. And he even cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through rejection even from God. So he is our example. And through his rejection, we get acceptance not from people but from God. We were meant to be rejected from God. He went through the ultimate social dishonor, embarrassment, and rejection, not just from people but from God, so that we could be accepted by God and get true reward, not the, not the futile reward of honor from people. Um, so how do, we, how do we do this? How do we 
how do we respond to this kind of teaching? Well, it was interesting. What motivated him? Well, uh, if, you, if you want to look at Hebrews 12, 2, uh, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't get his joy in this life. He didn't get all his good things in this life. So whether or not he went through times of hunger or times of plenty, whether, whether or not he was praised by people, whether or not crowds came to see him or left him naked on a cross, he wasn't looking to those things as a reward. He was looking forward to the joy set before him. And it's interesting because we're called to do the same thing. It says before verse 2 and verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every hindrance or encumbrance, it says, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us with endurance run the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's our example. And the reward that he has, that he's taken hold of, is his. He's alive. He wasn't left in the grave. He wasn't left on the cross. God raised him from the dead in glory. And because of him, when we come to believe and trust in him, we are united with him in that. And we look forward. Because he's risen from the dead, we're guaranteed to see that day when we also get raised up for eternal life. We get to spend eternity with God. Regardless of how prosperous or regardless of how unprosperous our lives here are, because of Christ, we have certainty of, his, of God's reward. I want to end uh, just with an example here. Uh, when, uh, when my wife and I were in the, uh, the Netherlands, uh, we lived in, this, uh, in a town about 20 minutes away from the city called Eindhoven. And, uh, and uh, that city in World War II was held captive by the Germans, and its liberation by the, the Allied forces, the Americans and the British, is depicted in uh, this TV series called Band of Brothers. And it's really interesting. If you know me, you know I like that, that TV series. Uh, but it's really interesting when it's depicted. Uh, this, the soldiers, the Allied soldiers, uh, walk through the center of the city. And there's all this celebration, all this attention that they're getting from the people. Uh, you see soldiers going off to the side eating food, women coming up and, and kissing them, that kind of thing. Things that they haven't experienced in a long time. And, uh, but it's interesting because all the officers and the leaders are saying, keep moving because they're in danger. The Germans are encamped two miles away, not even. They still have a war to fight and a war to win. But the soldiers who are moving through the town are getting distracted uh, by these false things that are really just distracting them from the real reward. They haven't won yet. The war wasn't won. They weren't going home as they weren't going to their real home. They were just getting temporary attention that was distracting them from the mission at hand. And in the same way, I want us to be people, the people of God together, who throw off everything that hinders, who, who understand that the praise from people is temporary, and the praise from God, the reward that we have in Christ to look forward to from God uh, is eternal, and we need to focus on that and dwell on that. If you want to take home and, uh, and meditate on this, I would encourage you to write down uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's the last uh, two books of the Bible. Uh, just take some time this week before work or something like that. Read it and, and dwell on it, uh, and let God kind of take you into uh, this idea of, What's going to come to be his reward that he's set before us? Uh, so 
I'm going to pray here, and uh, the Tori and the worship band are kind of going to uh, come back up. And also, I want to encourage you, if, you're, if something uh, you know, in this uh, is striking you, or you've never actually trusted in Christ and hoped in his reward, or if you would just like prayer, we, we want to be a church that prays. And uh, we're going to actually have a few people up here at the end of service, myself included, uh, and some of the women who are on our uh, prayer team our new prayer ministry, they can pray for you. If you'd like prayer for anything at all, uh, I'd encourage you to come up. So let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you that we're a people who are not without hope, but a people who, who hope in the real God, the one true God who promises the one true lasting reward. God, would you let that overflow in our hearts, uh, let that overflow with joy in us as we come back and worship. Let us focus uh, not on just the, the present here and now. Let us focus on that, but let us also dwell on eternity, God, the reward that we have in front of us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brad, thank you, brother. Can we give Brad a hand? Yeah. Yeah.